When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Game Dev Unchained, the number one podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof. I am your host, Brandon Pham, and with me, a special guest, Adnan Shomet. See, I told you I'm going to mess up. Is that good? Oh, that was good. That was good. Hey, everyone. All right. So, Adnan, thanks for coming on the show. This is the part of the podcast where I ask our guests, such as yourself, to introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers out there, who you are, where you've been, where you're at, where you're heading. Yeah, so I'm Adnan Shumit. Um, I've been in the industry for about five years. First of all, I started just trying to break in as an artist and uh I come from Africa, uh, Mauritania more specifically, and there's no industry there. So at the time, you either had to be really unique to convince a company to move you, or you just had to, you know, take another business. And uh, what, what I did at the time was just trying again, 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 and, you know, doing art tests, getting them and getting, hey, you don't have a visa, sorry, bye-bye. <laughs> so, you know, just a lot of these kind of... Uh, rejections forced me to explore different mediums and uh, I ended up diving into tech art which uh, at some point uh, made me you know kind of a a Maya guy who write tools and a Quixel who's now acquired by Epic noticed that and they went they went like hey Adnan you make tools we want you to make tools Uh, can you join us and uh, I joined Quixel uh, got to know Teddy Bergsman who was on the podcast fantastic guy like uh best person ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, basically from there on, I just started thinking about, okay, how do I make sure that people like me who, you know, want to be an artist, but also want to solve uh, like technical problems to be fast can work. And that's how Polygon Flow, the idea behind Polygon Flow came to be. It was just about making sure that in the future, if there's another Adnan and he wants to make tools, he doesn't have to, you know, give up on his artistic career to, you know, make tools and solve artistic problems uh, at heart. Yeah. I mean, one of the the biggest thing being an artist myself is that uh, I'm always 10 steps removed from a programmer. I, I rarely talk to them because I don't understand them. And then the tech art people are always the in-between that kind of helps the artist realize a vision in an easier way. And I, if anything, the onset of the last couple of years has been making tool sets better so that we can make art faster, basically. And you, you mentioned you were at Quixel yeah. for a while, so you fully understood what that was about. And uh, I, I would love to kind of dig into your history a little bit more. Like uh, another thing that I'm super impressed are international developers. It's very hard to get in the industry when everybody around you don't know what the hell that you're doing. <laughs> and it's even harder yeah, for, for crossing borders. Uh, it's a huge, still a huge problem. Um, I would love to kind of ask you a little bit about that before we talk about the history of Polygon Flow and it mm-hmm. kind of overtaking the internet right now. Um, 
when, when a remote working, right, it's huge now. Do you feel like that's something that's going to help break down the barriers a bit more where companies are now seemingly to be more open to working with international developers? Absolutely. I mean, just three years ago, a couple of friends of mine were in, who are still in Africa were struggling to find a job. And today they are really, number one, not just able to get a job. And we've hired one of them at Polygon Flow, but the, you know, COVID is kind of a curse and a blessing at the same time in that sense, because so many people are now more confident in hiring uh, international talent, whether, especially when it comes to from like places like India or Asia or Africa, which we tend to get a bad rep, but uh, there's some incredible talent there. And I think it's just the beginning where we're going to start noticing more and more that, hey, I can hire this guy from San Francisco who's going to cost me, I don't know how many thousands, or I can just get this whole team uh, who costs me the same salary or half the salary of that one guy. So it's it's definitely going to shift things a lot. I think there's going to be a lot of positives for people uh, who don't come from the West like me. And in the West, I think uh, people might end up being in a situation like where I was, for instance, where you have to be a bit more than good to have a job. Uh, I don't think that, you know, if you're from, if you graduated from, I don't know, Full Sail or whatever university, but there's a guy from Mumbai who has the same skill set as you, and, you know, you don't have to do relocation costs or anything. It's just going to be obvious, uh, especially if that person is good or average in English. So it, it's changing things for sure. And um, yeah, so my, my experience coming from Africa is just that it, it, it's still super tricky. And uh, I think it, it depends a lot on the reputation of the country. Like you wouldn't expect... Uh, artists, you could expect artists to come from India, yes, but Africa a lot less. And uh, I think they're still struggling there with that problem. And you have schools there like uh, Netanfo, where I went there for a year, and they're trying really hard to make sure that if you're a student, your portfolio is shown and that, you know, they've, they're partnering with Epic to make sure that they invite their evangelists, showing people, hey, okay, this is what we're doing. Show me your portfolio. I'll give you feedback. So it's, it's definitely uh, evolving in the right direction, uh, thankfully. Um, so, okay. yeah, one, one of the biggest things with uh, remote working and, and the pandemic is that it really helps with a lot of developers. There are... Um, discovering things for some reason people are still not hearing you let me check what's mm -hmm. going on i hear you just fine i wonder can you do a test mic real quick okay all okay. right now I we're think good now they can yeah now okay we're good. <laughs> uh yeah so as i was reiterating um continue on the show and again nobody will see this in the recording in the post edits but um yeah the, the barriers dropping is a huge uh, influx of developers that are often mis, uh, misrepresented, like you said, and and then underrepresented, right? Um, I think with development in games, especially the the bigger the hardships, the the better the creatives, and um, and I've seen it all across parts of the industry, AAA, indie, everywhere, mobile, uh, people who are the most disadvantaged are the ones who are the hardest, and I and, and I'm sure like. You know, I, I, I came through an art school, 
but I've met so many developers who are so self-taught and I just see a clear difference in the drive and the ability to kind of constantly learn and, 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 and their rate of growth is humongous. Right. So, uh, you know, in, in, in sources like Africa, which, you know, schools aren't freely available, you got to have to be self, (laughs) self resourcing. It's It's a different story. At the time in 20, uh, 2013, 2013, 2014, basically my situation was that I had to either find a job. This was in Mauritania, which is an Arabic country. And I had to either find a job or go to an Arabic school, which I didn't speak. I I could speak Arabic, but I couldn't know how to write it. So what I ended up deciding was, okay, I'm going to have to leave school. This was before even finishing high school um, and just start doing whatever, you know, websites, uh, video editing, just going to companies or political parties that want, uh, like some Photoshopping or whatever, just trying to go by. And, uh, it's just crazy how much work it takes, uh, when you're starting from there and just trying to get the basics because number one, okay, do you speak English? Um, I learned English by watching anime subtitles and movies. Uh, That takes you a couple of years. And then you have to, you just have to learn one by one, so many things. And uh, most people that I know in Africa have the same issues as well. You know, it's just, they've never had uh, the, the chance to interact much with the West. So even the first interaction is awkward because, you know, it's like, a French interacting with an American for the first time. It doesn't click, uh, mm. whether it's the humor or whatever. And, uh, just after that, then the next step was, okay, now I know how to do a little bit of blender because people want text to be rotating in their videos or whatever. And, uh, progressively you start going, okay, I like blender, but I want to make, uh, you know, a text in a background around like a mountain, just noise. And just step by step, you go from there to, I want to have some animation. I want to model a car. And, uh, one day you wake up and you're like, Hey, I want to be an artist. And, Mm. uh, the next step for most people in Africa is figuring out that there's actually an industry around it. Like not many people, uh, know that, Hey, you can, you know, you can live off of doing 3d art. And, uh, once you figure that out, then, you know, it's just chasing, uh, maybe there's a TV station that needs 3d and you work there. It's just continuously struggling until you reach a level where you're not just good, but you're exceptionally good. If you want to be hired in the West. And I never reached that level because I branched off to tech art, which is tech art has an easier barrier of entry if you're really passionate about problem solving, but art is just incredibly hard. Uh, because again, there's just so many people in the world that play games and are passionate about them. Um, nobody sees tech art when they're playing a video game. So you just have no idea that that's the thing. You just suppose that, Oh, there's programmers and then there's artists. Um, it's, it's, it's only when you get frustrated by creating art, that most of the time, at least that you start going like, okay, maybe I need to learn how to do good shortcuts or scripts that I copy and modify on the internet and so on. So yeah, it's always a wild adventure. 
Well, I definitely want to sign off on that for sure because uh, I equate tech art and programming for artists like Fall Guys where you just slowly, as soon as people have to crunch numbers, everybody just turn the other way and don't want to do it. It's it's very intimidating for a lot of people. Even for myself, it's like it's just something that's not what I'm built up for for, for doing, right? I can't do it. Yeah. Um, uh, but you're exactly right. It's more competitive than art side because everybody naturally wants to make art and everybody in it's a easier barrier of entry. Um, and, and tech art, I wouldn't say it's easier, uh, but uh, there is less competitors um, if yeah, you're really yeah, good at right it. Term. Yeah, yeah. Less competitors going into the industry. And, and it's, it's just it, it is one of those things. Uh, funny enough. Uh, the industry is moving towards. It's like um, you can't just be an artist for that very reason alone. You got to be a little tech savvy to be really good at your job and be valuable at these companies because uh, you need that uh, because making games is all about cheating and performance and you can't just go in there and ZBrush everything and, and just make sh- you just walk away from the thing and, make, and hope that it works, right? So... Uh, this actually kind of ties back to 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 your beginnings of Polygon Flow, right? Um, you you mentioned you spent a good amount of years uh, at Quixel uh, at the ground floor. What kind of lessons uh, did you see going through that before the acquisition, of course, at Epic? Just seeing like a startup like growing and gaining traction and, and, and like coming into form of what the original vision is. Um, like, can you kind of share a little bit of that aspect from your perspective that you're carrying forward for, for your company? Yeah. So, um, at Quixel, I was very fortunate because, and this is probably one of the things that I miss about, uh, offices is that sometimes you get to sit near someone that you would never, uh, be working closely with otherwise. And at Quixel, uh, the office in Sweden, Uppsala, I was sitting with uh, Daniel and Jason. Uh, Jason was the CFO and then business development, uh, no, uh, chief of business development and then uh, head of sales. And uh, Daniel was CFO and other and investor as well. And, um, you know, instead of being around artists, I was really with the people that are kind of making big decisions that drive the company forwards. And I was really involved with the tech, uh, tech slash art part of uh, Quixel Bridge, their software that sends, you know, geometry between uh, different tools. And that also meant that I had to talk a lot with Teddy and with the Pakistani team. Like it, it was just a really fortunate setting and uh, it was incredibly insightful because you get to hear the the best and the worst of everything. Like when everybody's celebrating, you hear it firsthand. When everybody's not celebrating, you also hear it firsthand. But most importantly, I think what's really special about Quixel is just that the company has an incredibly good culture uh, when it comes to just hiring good people. And, uh, it, you know, it, it seems trivial when people hear like just hire good people, but it's just, you, you have to have a filter that starts from the top. And at Quixel, that was Teddy and Vakar. Like if you talked with these guys, you could just feel it that they really mean what they say when they say, we want to simplify the artist's work. We want to have a good, uh, company culture and, uh, progressively, you know, I just started taking notes. Okay. How do they hire? 
um, usually they're just scooping over the internet. If there's an artist that has been working with their tools for a long time and they're doing amazing work and Quixel happens to be in need of an artist, they just hire that artist. If you're a programmer or tech artist like I was, and you happen to be making tools that they think might be good for, uh, their ecosystem, they just get in touch with you. And uh, yeah, you know, just making sure that just like I had to talk to Teddy in order to uh, be hired every time I was hiring someone in the company at Polygon Flow as well, I always contacted the person first and really started a deep conversation into, hey, you know, what are you passionate about? And uh, always making sure as well that the person that you're going to hire and the the job that they're, they're doing, if they're doing it also as a hobby on their free time, that's even better. Like all of these different lessons, I had to just learn them and see them sometimes work, sometimes, sometimes fail and taking notes. And uh, this is just from the hiring aspect and the other aspects. Uh, Jason is in the chat and uh, I think he would have some crazy uh, anecdotes and stories about basically the growth of a company like Quixel. But the gist of it to me is just that it's a constant struggle. And the fact that everybody in the company was passionate about what they're doing made it a struggle that was enjoyable. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, fantastic people again, all over the place over there. Yeah, it's a, it's a lesson I think I've learned later in my career um, when I was working with smaller teams and seeing the advantages of that. Um, I've always started my career a little, little like big AAA companies, but it was the smaller teams where I learned that um, for longevity of a career, for interests and internal growth, uh, being around like-minded people, passionate people where everyone's opinions matter you can really move mountains uh, at a quicker uh, pace than other bigger companies. And uh, I I definitely saw that with Teddy, with Quixel, with you guys. And I definitely see the the, the gem of what you're building over at Polygon Flow. It's like um, it it, it has all the remnants of, of making a big change. And speaking of big change... So let's go into the Polygon Flow and what, what it is and where the thinking process and how, why, why did you feel it was a solution needed for a problem? Um, this is the type of thing when I saw is like, oh, wow, okay. This is something that artists are going to be fully embracing, been waiting for and, and can't get, you know, can't wait to get their hands on. And this is also something that tech artists are either going <laughs> to like or really <laughs> get scared of like job security is like this guy's revealing all our secrets. Right. So I would love to kind of hear, you know, your, your, your beginning process of, um, you know, the problem that you're seeing and what you're using uh, polygon flow to kind of create solutions for. Yeah. So the story of polygon flow began in 2016. Uh, back then I used to make small Maya plugins. I was really starting to learn how to do tech art and I didn't want to quit art just yet. I just wanted to solve some problems, you know, get some cash to be able to survive, uh, literally, and then continue on with my art career. But progressively I started noticing that, okay, I had to make this really generic tool where you basically have a curve and you want to generate geometry around it, like to create a pipe and the code to make that whole thing where it's like a good system ended up being over a thousand lines of code because you had a lot of different features. And I was like, okay, there is no way that if I want to keep making tools, I'm going to be writing thousands of lines of code because at heart, 
I like solving problems. I don't like coding. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever I say this, even to my uh, colleagues, they go like, come on. <laughs> but it's, it's just, I, f- I feel like what makes tools like Unreal Engine's material editor and substance designer and so on so good is that they really speak to your soul as an artist. Like they have a, a really high barrier of entry, but it starts... Uh, like it starts easy if you follow the right tutorial and most of the time you know there's tutorials everywhere and at that point in late 2016 the idea then was okay i know how to create uh scripts uh simple ones but you know it is what it is so i thought what if i had like a layer stack where i could do something like hey give me the selected object bevel the object move it into the scene export it whatever like you just have layers is similar to Photoshop and each layer would have an operation and you basically run a bunch of different tools like that. And you'd have a button called bake to tool. So it would bake the layer stack into a complete script, just like what I would write manually. And uh, the idea was charming, but I had no skills to build a tool like that. Again, I didn't like coding much to begin with. So back then I put the, the idea on hold and uh, one year later I joined Quixel. Now, while at Quixel, I started noticing that problem more and more that, okay, we have some fantastic artists and they're telling me all these amazing ideas. Hey, would be great if I had a tool that would do this and that. Like these are ideas that would genuinely change the way artists work and they don't even exist yet, but there was no one to do them. You know, I was too busy doing something else. So whatever. And, uh, in, uh, I'll never forget, it was an evening in early 2018. And I was talking to Teddy about this idea. Hey, what if there was this node-based tool that allowed you to create your tools? Would you use it? And uh, Teddy also had kind of a similar background in that he started as an artist wanting to solve, uh, you know, just sci-fi panels creation because you can, if you can create them with like normal maps, you don't have to model in Maya and so on. And he said, oh, absolutely. You know, back when I started writing Endu, which was Quixel's first tool, um, it was just so much code. And I really wish I had a system like that. And from that point, I was like, okay, um, now I think I have a rough idea of where this needs to go. And so I started doing a lot of research, learning what options are there. Um, there was like Houdini, which was the first software that I considered. Um, I tried it out, learning curve was really, really steep. And I mean, like crazy. Mm-hmm. And I, I had to give up immediately because there was no way that I could come to you and say, hey, this tool is made for you as an artist that doesn't know how to code or any programming language. Like you have to know a little bit of that to use Houdini really well, unlike Substance Designer, for example. And uh, then I started exploring other options, like some that are dead, like Softimage had uh, this uh, system called ICE that was like Houdini, but a bit simpler. And progressively, it was just really clear that there's no solution out there. And if I wanted to see the idea that I had in mind happen, I had to do it myself. And uh, that's when, you know, I just started writing a really simple prototype. Like I had to learn, okay, how do you even make a node-based tool? How how deep does your programming uh, knowledge need to be to do that? And uh, fast forward uh, summer 2018, I was 
like 50% sure of how everything needed to be. And that's where I started talking with Daniel because, you know, we're in the same office about this. He was like, mm-hmm, node base. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, cool. Keep going. <laughs> and, but that, that basically meant that he was there and seeing the idea from its inception and progressively grow until it became like uh, a proper, something with a proper structure. And uh, yeah, after that, you know, early 2019, I was like 100% sure, okay, I'm going to quit by uh, summer 2019 and start my thing. But then, you know, the whole kind of acquisition thing and uh, the company Quixel was growing and uh, I I felt like, okay, I'd rather make sure that I leave uh, with everything kind of in good state and with a good uh, relationship with Quixel rather than just leaving to pursue my dream because uh, friendship is really important. And I value Teddy and Jason and Daniel, everybody there. I just love them too much to you know quit suddenly. So w- what I ended up doing was just uh, trying to develop it a bit in my free time because at the time Quixel, you know, a lot of things had to happen in 2019 for us to get to a point where people are where we're on the map, where people know what we do, where if you're using their software Quixel Bridge, which completely removes the need of importing textures and applying them and creating materials, like that the, we, need, we needed to ensure that there was no going back from that kind of workflows. And uh, yeah, you know, late 2019 in November, 12th of November, announcement that Quixel was acquired. And uh, four weeks, uh, four days before that, I had announced to Teddy that I was leaving. Uh, I spent the whole evening before that just uh, tearing up in front of the computer thinking, okay, what am I going to say to this guy <laughs> tomorrow? Um, but then, you know, uh, the the whole process was super smooth and uh, he just kept giving me advice on, okay, you're trying to solve these problems. I would have been the ideal customer uh, of Polygon Flow a few years ago. Like I really am an artist at heart and I want to make tools. How would I do that? And just through tons and tons of brainstorming sessions, uh, the core idea of Polygon Flow was shaped that way. And uh, if, if I were to summarize kind of the philosophy behind it, it was simple. We just want to make sure that just like today, you can make procedural textures visually without spending years learning the fundamentals of programming. We want to create that same type of innovation in the field of tools creation. And by tools creation, I mean, you know, the fact that we had to wait for, I don't know, 20 years before a software like, I don't know if you've ever used Pure Ref or mm-hmm. Quadro. Yeah. It's yeah. like a reference collection tool. Like, that just didn't exist before. You had to have Photoshop open on the side and it was annoying because you can't overlay it and so on. Like, and those tools are really simple to make and artists shouldn't be waiting for decades for some programmer somewhere to someday feel like doing it. And uh, they shouldn't have to wait for, you know, random African like me to go like, hey, I want to solve this problem <laughs> and waiting for that. So th- that was kind of the idea behind Polygon Flow. Um, and obviously, just like with Substance Designer, you'll always have a huge percentage of uh, the art community that is just not going to embrace it because they don't like nodes or because they just want to make art. 
And uh, at the time in uh, late 2018, uh, what I ended up doing was, okay, you're going to have this software Graphen where it's really, we're working super hard to make it as artist friendly as it can be. But at the same time, we also want to ensure that if you're an artist and you just want to have a tool that, you know, creates ropes or does vines or whatever, we're not going to ask you to do it. We're going to give you a library of tools that is already done, you know, just to make sure that you can start that way. You, you're on a tight deadline. You just want to have a tool that does whatever. You go to this library called uh, Metanote. You type ropes or vines or building or modular or whatever. It gives you the tool. You use it. You know, you're comfortable. You like it. And then one day you notice, oh, there's an edit button near that tool. If you click on it, that's when we open the graph. And from there, you know, maybe you've been so familiar with the tool that now you want to change it and see how it would behave. And, and that's kind of the conversion flow, uh, you know, trying to convince artists to build their own tools and sell their own tools uh, as well. So yeah, that, that's the long version, you could say. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's perfect, man. I, I think a lot of, um, I think Blueprint was one of like one of the biggest tools uh, as well as Quixel and all these tools that enable and invite a lot of artists to solve these issues because uh, within a studio, right? It, it is a lot of collaboration between an artist and a technical artist to kind of help solve problem. And everyone has their divergent path. It's like you're, you're doing tech art and you're, you're figuring out, you know, what, 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 problems to solve but artists are always creating problems and so naturally it's good to talk to them they're like all right what kind of what, what did you do now <laughs> what can i make to, to make it easier and so being able to kind of help bridge that gap even better where artists themselves can just fool around and at least uh prototype something that they're thinking about um is, is a huge factor and i think if anything will will open up the floor with a lot better tools to make things and make art faster, um, which is at the heart of it, what makes game development different from other mediums. It's just like, how do we cheat? Yeah. We're always looking ways to cheat um, because no one wants to I mean, sit there 80 hours sculpting something when they don't have to, uh, because we got deadlines <laughs> and you're probably going to get fired. <laughs> yeah. One thing that's also super important uh, to note is that there's just too many artists and too few tech artists. Mm -hmm. And uh, statistically, when you look at most tech artists, they're not like frustrated by their job or hate it or want to go back to being an artist. It's quite the opposite. Artists that uh, dive or even just tip their toe into tech art tend to never come back. And uh, what that tells us is that if there was a lower barrier of entry, you would have many, many more uh, tech artists that are just, you know, they just want to solve things. They just want to uh, see how fast they can do something like time lapsing or whatever. And uh, I think the reason why you don't have this many tech artists is not because artists don't like to code. It's just that just like before Substance Designer, nobody even wanted to think about proceduralism. They were just never given the right tools to even try to solve the problems to begin with. And that, that's, that's uh, I think, is at the heart of the problem. And the potential is just huge. Like Unreal Engine, uh, they published some stats uh, about two years ago uh, when they wrote a profile on what is a tech artist. And... Uh, there's just every single VFX company, every single game company. When you're a tech artist, it's incredibly hard. 
if you're good to not find a job. Uh, like there's so many openings everywhere and any artist that even likes to do shortcut, I'd encourage them to, you know, just dive into it a little bit, try substance designer, try Houdini, uh, try Graphin when it's out and so on. Yeah, definitely. I think the, the, the trend that we were talking before, uh, if anything, the last couple of years has been increasingly towards technical art. Like, uh, you know, we were talking about playing with Blender early, right? I was laughing about Blender, but now it's becoming the leading 3D modeling tool because of how fast uh, it's updating like huge features with every release. So it's, it's overtaking what's out there. Uh, you're talking about, you know, photogrammetry and your, your, your program, Graphen, and what you guys are doing over there at Polygon Flow. Uh, there's always seems to be a switch or a conversion of old guards. You know, we always, you know, met with really senior people who have their their way of how they set up their desks and this is how they're going to do it from A to Z. And they don't want to change that because it is frustrating too, being a guy who 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 constantly wants to learn new tool that every single week there's a new tool that you have to learn and, and change and adapt to be relevant. Um, I would love to kind of hear your thoughts about uh, the dangers of someone as, as an artist who are not leaning towards tech art, not just for uh, beginners who are looking a way in, but people who are trying to stay relevant on top of things. And it's all about speed and quality mm-hmm. at this point. We'd love to kind of hear your opinions on that. Yeah, I think um, I'm going to kind of separate it into two categories uh, for the Western candidates and the non-Western candidate. Cause I think that distinction is important because uh, the expectations are different. If you're in the West, the expectation is that you have to be so good that, you know, hiring someone of the same skill set again in Mumbai or uh, whatever city in Asia is not worth it. Like you have to convince people at Santa Monica that you who lives in uh, Santa Monica are worth it, uh, more so than the guy that might be more skilled than you who lives wherever. And so I think if you're an artist in the West, it's super important. You don't have to do, you don't have to learn programming, but it's super important to have a really deep understanding of where your field is going. And uh, there's this guy uh, called uh, Scott Denton on Facebook who shares tons and tons of links and discussions around art. And, And I think that's really important because tomorrow, if you're in a meeting and people are curious about, hey, what's photogrammetry about? How can it benefit us? You need to be the guy that can stand up and say, hey, I know what photogrammetry is. Let me help you set up the pipeline. Um, it doesn't mean scripting. It just means having a really good understanding of how photogrammetry works or of why proceduralism matters. And uh, if you lose touch of that and you're only good, again, not great, but good at making nice high polys or baking and making nice models, I really think it's going to be tough for you moving forward in the future. And yeah, that's why I really recommend for everyone to have a good understanding of proceduralism and photogrammetry. Now, if you're not in the West, I think you need to try even harder. Mm -hmm. It'll always be the case, but I think you can have an edge if you also add on top of that layer scripting 
uh, Python scripting, for example. And the, the reason why this is super important is because someone, you know, if a company is evaluating two candidates, hey, I'm in Paris, you're in, uh, I don't know, uh, Accra in Ghana, in Africa. And, you know, let's say they have the same skills, uh, same procedural photogrammetry knowledge. If you who are in Accra, Ghana, you know how to script, that's a huge plus. And it's even better if you sold your tools in the past or shared them or whatever, because you never know, maybe the guy who's going to interview you is using one of your tools. And uh, that, that also is super important, uh, you know, not just making tools, but writing about what you do. Uh, you need to be super confident about your job because one day someone might read something that you wrote and if it's bogus and by something, I mean, you know, maybe you wrote some tips and tricks on polycount on how to solve normal map issues or whatever. Like you just never know who you're going to be talking to tomorrow. And throughout my career, short career, everyone that I've had the chance to work with so far, I've known uh, you know, for almost 10 years. First time I spoke to Victor was in 2012 and I was literally just texturing a cube with their software. And he said, Hey, that's nice progress. Not because it was nice, but because, you know, just encouragement and, uh, th that puts you on the map. So yeah, you know, be on the map. If you're in the West, please learn proceduralism and photogrammetry. Again, doesn't mean you have to dive into scripting just means that it's going to be a game changer and it's going to give you an edge. If you're not in the West, please learn those, but also add scripting. If again, you want to be set, uh, you want to be uh, unique uh, compared to uh, an equivalent talent elsewhere. Yeah. And it kind of to relate to that, you know, I, I started my history in game dev at, at 2K, like a over a decade ago and even then the you know me coming from an environment art background it was already in the talks of how to phase that part out the junior level creating props right we were that studio was looking for senior managerial uh leading type of environments and and all the prop making is being done overseas right so thankfully then wasn't really completely figured out but there is also every trend Positional console generation. Uh, there's always relooking at how do we keep the core team small, uh, because you know at that time, you know we were outsourcing to, to China, and at that point th there were still early in the infancy a lot of you know standout artists, but as a whole still 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 learning. But now ten years. <laughs> Over 10 years later, you know, Chinese are, are, are going pretty crazy. Like these artists, you know, I, I'm sure you've seen that Monkey King trailer. I was like, whoa, man, this is like one of the top next gen looking game yeah. uh, from a, from a country that we used to outsource stuff to. Right. And so internationally, it's getting very competitive and yeah, you're constantly, so. like you said, have to look for that edge. Otherwise, I can pay one tenth cheaper for someone to do your job, right? Absolutely. And it, it uh, actually, it can, one of the things that I love the most about every day just working at Polygon Flow is also the fact that even though we're located in uh, Stockholm, like the talent pool is everywhere. We have people in Hungary, in uh, Vancouver, in Vietnam, 
literally everywhere, uh, everywhere around the world. And uh, I just never thought that such skilled people exist. Um, we have two programmers, for example, from Hungary, and these guys are good. And I don't, I don't just mean like, oh, this is nice skills. I mean, they're able to make you tools that are much, much faster than anything on the market. If you tell them, hey, I don't like how this extrude works, or I don't like how, you know, it's slow to do a certain operation in Maya or Blender, they just do you something that's better. And I feel like there's this kind of discovery feeling that the West is experiencing right now, where you just didn't know that there were this many good people in some places of the globe. And even in the West, sometimes there's also a lot of people whose skills are just not put in the right place. Uh, and I, th- I think it's, it's mostly like it, the problem sometimes also comes from the person themselves. Like if you're working in a company and you really want to do something, if you're not vocal about it, nobody's ever going to, you know, tell you, Hey, you should try that. And a lot of people that start, especially as artists, they tend to be like, okay, I'm a proper artist. And then one day by circumstance, whatever circumstances, they just end up being the artist that optimizes stuff without ever having the chance or having taken the chance to trace their path. And, uh, I think what set, when you look at something like that, uh, game from China with the monkey, uh, King, it's a journey to the West, I think was like a mm-hmm. subtitle of the game. It's just, if, if you told me today, Hey, this is from Sa- Sony Santa Monica, I would say, Oh, you know, yeah. I, I could believe you. There's nothing there that doesn't, uh, scream God of war or beautiful visuals. And that's all because, you know, there's thousands or maybe tens of thousands of people out there that are just working like crazy to make sure that they can create productions that are even better than what uh, what exists in the West. And I'm just discovering it, you know, as I'm hiring programmers mostly and technical artists, I'm just finding people who I'm like, okay, where is this person coming from? How come Autodesk ha- hasn't hired them? And uh, yeah, it's, it's exciting, frightening, but most uh, importantly, it's uh, challenging in a good way for everybody, I think. Yeah, it's one of those classic um, leadership uh, comfortability that people kind of fall into where, you know, the West for a long time, uh, even Japan, right? Japan was there, was kind of leading game development for for a good couple of console generations, Nintendo. And then we saw like this transition to Western games kind of eclipsing that. And there was a back and forth battle a little bit. And then uh, suddenly, right, now tools are making it easier, uh, lesser people, um, and honestly, it's just harder working people <laughs> that we're competing yeah. against. It's just like when I'm sleeping, there's someone, the equivalent of me in China, just working through those hours, learning new skills and becoming better. Um, and comfort, if anything, is, is what's, I think, one of the, the biggest issues with Western studios right now. We're just so comfortable with being number one. And uh, we, we just take advantage that, or people will take advantage of that. And um, and it kind of con- comes back to what you said. You're going to always have to reevaluate 
your standing and make aware uh, to yourself of what's going on in the rest of the world. Like uh, that Wukong uh, monkey journey to the West kind of slapped everybody in the face to wake up yeah. uh, because these guys <laughs> are so much cheaper than you and are doing something that is so much better than, than your team has ever done. Why is that? You got to reevaluate that and embrace it and learn start learning from each other. Um, it was the same kind of slap in the face that I felt uh, a few years ago from a Russian company. Uh, it was like Atomic Heart. It looked like Russian Bioshock. I don't know if you guys... Yeah, that game. That, yeah. I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> so it was like, <laughs> yeah, where is this from? Who are these guys? This is some kind of conspiracy here. But it, like, it was like, it was such an eye-opening moment. And I'm, I'm feeling that that frequency of surprise and shock is happening faster now. It's like every two years now. Uh, we, we, uh, I recently had a guest on, uh, Zhang, who, um, who, who was a solo developer on Bright Memory. This is a, a Chinese young 20-year-old who made this AAA looking game um, by himself completely. Uh, and it was shown off on the NVIDIA stage. It was shown off on the Xbox stage. And it was like, wow, this is a new generation of game developers. We're, we're talking about all these tools, like what you guys are doing, substance, quick, so everything, right? Um, and, and what does that mean? It means that we're going to have younger and hungrier developers who are pumping out AAA level content at a fraction of the team that it used to be. And that's the future to some can be very scary for usually the senior guys and to others, very exciting it because it means like you said, lowering the barrier entry and at the end, better quality product, because at the end we just want to have better games faster. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. So and, I would uh, love to kind of, oh, if you have something to add to that, we can do that first. Yeah. I was just going to quickly say that it's probably one of the main reasons why I wake up every day is just the thought that there are so many people out there who whose potential can be uh, multiplied if you give them just a good solution for them to either work faster or smarter or just have more joy in their work. And... Uh, what, what excites me every morning is just, you know, waking up and working with the team, but most importantly, looking at the question, what would happen if today you gave artists the power of programmers and if they didn't have to worry about everything that programmers have to do, like if there would be an industry shift and I know there will be because, you know, you have people like Teddy who were an artist and they just did some basic scripting in Photoshop and look where it took us. <laughs> and I feel like he's, he's just a drop in the ocean. There are so many people out there that have a crazy potential. And uh, every day uh, our team is just working to make sure that th that potential is revealed. Not that we solve the problem because, you know, that that's how usually people do it. You could solve the problem. And it's, it can be super profitable if you solve it well. Most people fail to, but if you do it well, you know, it's just crazy. And uh, for me, it's, you know, as someone who does not want to end up scripting his whole life, it would be torture. If I have to 
if I had to, you know, just have a list of 2000 requests from people saying, I want to have this, I want to have that. Um, like, I, I really think that once you give people the ability to never having to ask the artist, Hey, can you solve a problem? It's just going to change everything. And I'm super excited to see that happen. Yeah. I, I think a developer's nightmare is waking up to Jira task. And <laughs> if anything, you're getting a bunch of requests from a lot of artists where, yeah, some might have valuable ways of tackling and some is just like BS. It's like, do it yourself, do it, figure it out, yeah. test that idea out. And you'd let me know uh, if it's worth pursuing the next level. And that's where I feel like a lot of tech artists um, uh will be more challenged and more uh, available and, and ready to tackle the bigger problems. Right. Um, and I think every discipline, like he said, and I'm seeing it last decade, especially every discipline has been challenged uh, with better tools. Like uh, we, we kind of laughed at animators at first. It was like with mocap looks like you don't have a job. Right. And that, that, that of course isn't true. Yeah, right. If anything, they're cleaning up and animators are more important than ever in every industry. Uh, we, we saw it with uh, photo scans with character artists, right? It's like, now I can just scan people. Why do I need you for? I take pictures, photogram at you with an environment, same deal, right? Uh, and I see what you're doing, the same thing. It's like tech art. Wake up, guys. Uh, <laughs> we got to challenge ourselves. And, and I, I, if anything, um, the, the millions or thousands of requests that tech artists get, uh, this is going to help them filter through to something really great because I think a lot of great ideas have been bottlenecked and because there's not a lot of tech artists around to help or you guys are scattered, frankly, on the internet, right? Outside of a studio setting, it's very hard for artists to communicate in a room with you guys to figure out something that is genre defining. Um, so I, I think a tool like this will open up the conversation, make it more funneled through, right? Uh, you were talking about the meta node, like being able to kind of dig through tools that people create. I, I think that's a fantastic idea because now we have the potential of a hub that people can talk to each other about and it doesn't have to be a traditional studio setting because I don't really know where tech artists hang out, to be honest. <laughs> it's like, do you guys have your own know. website? <laughs> and, and like, where do you guys hang out? Because I know artists, you got art station. We used to have polycount and all that stuff. Um, and, uh, and, and other discipline have their own little forms and circles, but programmers, I guess GitHub is their thing. I still don't understand that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. for, for tech artists, there's this place called uh, tech art. Oh, no, not that video. Techartist.org, which okay. basically is where a lot of good tech artists meet. And they have a Slack, which is just tech slash artists uh, dot slack dot com where you'll meet you know these are technical artists from companies like Apple, Naughty Dog, Sony Santa Monica, Ubisoft, everywhere, uh, Unity, Unreal, and so on. So it's definitely a good if you're an artist, you go there, you're not gonna understand most of the conversations that are taking place, but you'll get to have a good idea of okay, who are these people? What, what does their day to day job look like? Uh, essentially and it's it's super fun also talking to them asking them questions you know about hey i want to learn a little bit here where do i start so i think that community is a good starting point uh if you want to if you're curious about the field All right well uh 
I guess one of the the remaining questions that I have um, is is what is the the future roadmap? Like uh, GraphN, I assume is one of your first steps. It's a great announcement. I'm seeing it everywhere. Artists are rejoicing. Tech artists are kind of scared, but uh, this is that mean that's a good thing because uh, it means changes are coming, and it's going to be one of those revolutionary tools to kind of speed up workflows and and make things better. Honestly, people didn't. I think overall the reception has been good, but would love to kind of hear your thoughts about you know what the next steps are and what you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. So, over the last uh, five months, we've been really focusing on building the team. Um, we started. We were initially just three. There was me and a really longtime friend, uh, but here, and uh, who's kind of our geometry processing guy, and. Uh, there was also a Russian guy, Ilgar, who's just amazing, uh, like really amazing. And he actually built like 99% of what you're seeing uh, on the Graphen video with another guy called Martin. It's like the Graphen, the, the software itself, he built the core. And then Martin Dahlin, who, if one of you guys is using Maya before, there was this plugin called Nightshade UV. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, the guy who wrote it is now working on everything related to Maya for Polygon Flow. And nice. basically with their power, we managed to create a really good kind of starting point. So the next step, uh, as you might have seen on a lot of the videos, it's people asking, hey, um, is this going to be available on Blender, on Unreal, on Max, and so on? And how good is the performance? So th- those are kind of the first challenges that we want to solve, solve over the next couple of months. First of all, we want to make sure that if you're an artist and you write tools, um, they're faster than what the average tech artist can write. Um, not just as good, but faster. And uh, we have to really dig in, uh, you know, in whatever DCC, whether it's Maya, Unreal, Blender, and so on, to find that kind of performance edge. But we're there, thankfully, uh, now. And so the next step is, number one, showing people more possibilities. Like that video was just, hey, I'm a 3D artist. I want to do blah, blah, blah. But what if you're a 3D artist and you want to sort your project, like creating folders, renaming every file automatically and so on. All those things. And this is what really makes Graphen different compared to any node tool out there is that you can use it for just that, for project management, for building a small software like PureRef, or for just making modeling tools. So that's the roadmap really right now for the next six months, just showing people more of that. Um, In January, we're going to start a private beta where we basically want to give people a sample, you could say, of Graphen and see what they can do with it. And from there, take that sample and apply whatever conclusion we might find, you know, based on the feedback to the rest of the software. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, Just to summarize, January, late January, it's going to be private beta. In February, we're going to be showing the other library of tools, Metanode. I think that's going to be super exciting for artists because there are some tools that just don't exist that that help artists. You don't have to build anything. It's just a tool that solves a problem that I'm excited to see how the art community will react to. And yeah, around uh, between May to uh, June next year, we're hoping to have our first kind of public release if, you know, development goes smoothly. Uh, 
uh, yeah. Well, man, uh, it's been a pleasure. I mean, you can did that bit, but uh, you know, you're gonna, you guys who are watching there, you're listening, and we're gonna provide a whole linking information so that everybody can just click through and and find that. But um, I, I say for for all companies and all developers or or people who are able to kind of see through this pandemic and still succeed, all right, you guys are good to go. I mean, if you can make it through this hardship, and it sounds like you guys are, uh, you and your team are kind of used to kind of remote working and, and being able to communicate, uh, it, it sounds very exciting to kind of see what the next six months looks like. And I uh, can't wait to get our hands on the tool. And I'm with a lot of people who are saying, like, give me uh giving you uh our money <laughs> to kind of get started on this <laughs> but like uh if anything uh as always um if you can uh how do people follow you you want to kind of list that so that people can continue the discussion with you uh offline yeah absolutely so first of all you can just go to our twitter which i'll drop in a second and uh you know it's just twitter you go there polygon flow and um, you can also find us on the website itself, polygonflow.io, where if you want to uh, subscribe to the beta, there's literally just two buttons. You give us a name and an email. And when the time comes, it will reach out to you saying, hey, there's a beta. So yeah, polygonflow.io is where, you know, I recommend you to just go there. You'll find everything, you know, what we're about in a video and how do you keep in touch and so on. So yeah, let me just drop that right there as well. Uh, as always, uh, I want to thank you, Adnan, for for coming on and, and talking with me, uh, and and sharing the knowledge and and and, and inspiring people <laughs> out there uh, to <laughs> to solve problems uh, and with solutions uh, for for everybody. Awesome. That's why I love talking to tech artists. You're always there to kind of help us, uh, and uh, I would love to see that community grow for sure. Just more tech artists for sure. Uh, as always, guys, thank you for, for tuning in. Uh, I'll see you guys all next week. See ya.